Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men de-reconstructing the South. Hey, Travis here. I just got done editing the podcast when we had Rick Dirtwater on from Boat Shoe Nationalism. Uh, or the Boat Shoe Beat. We kind of just started recording right in the middle of a conversation that we were already having. And so there's really not a good way to just splice it on up in there. But we hope you enjoy the show. Just the Democratic Party in Fairfax County, in one county. That's how big they were. That they, they could dwarf four or five counties, the entire population, um, with one political party in one county. That's how big they are. I looked at it like another metric, and there was one county, just the people who voted Democrat had a population size greater than the entire Shenandoah Valley. Like, that's how big it is. That's how strong that, like, political fist is of, like, four or five counties. Now, Hampton Roads, that's down in Norfolk, um, Virginia Beach, Portsmouth, big, big port area. That's an entirely dysfunctional area as well. Um, That's very loaded with folks because it's a military area. Military is not as conservative as it used to be, so that doesn't really mean a whole lot now. So you've got these four or five counties in the north. You've got a couple independent cities, Richmond, Hampton Roads. Now you dominate the entire state, and you can do whatever you want to. Uh, And the impetus is immigration. That's it. Same thing is happening to North Carolina. You go to the Golden Triangle. You know, you go to those that area in there. It's like this, you know, technological great area. You know, Charlotte is new city. I went to Charlotte one time. I didn't hear one Southern accent, and I was in Charlotte for a week. And I would talk to people, say, hey, where are you from? I'm from Wisconsin. I'm from Ohio. I'm from New New Jersey. I got into banking. Now I'm in Charlotte. And so you can dominate the state. All you got to do is put more people in there. And the difference between Southern nationalists and white nationalists is we understand that just because you're from Minnesota doesn't mean you have the same cultural values that I do being from Richmond or being from Raleigh, or being from Charleston. So just because you're some, you know, a white guy who moves into an area, doesn't mean you have our same values. So a lot of these people move in there, and then they vote, they just vote Democrat. That's it. For them, it's just a job. I, I don't care what it is. I'm going to go to wherever I need to go for a job, and I'll just vote Democrat or whatever. So I think one of the things, um... The reason that all these rootless people can actually do that is because, well, I mean, obviously, they, they're, if they're rootless, they don't have family ties, but they've not been in the country as long as we have, like, as far as family lineage goes. So they're not attached to the to the Midwest, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, and that type of places like we are to our states who can trace our people back to, you know, before the 1800s, before the 1700s. Uh, I'm not saying that's the end-all, be-all for, for for the standard, but that's a pretty good metric, in my opinion. You know, if you can trace your lineage back to at least pre-Civil War and have some relatives at fault in that war, um, you know, it, it tends to give you a better bond to an area. Um, I would agree with that. I think one thing that I always sort of chuckle at is you get these Antifa, you get these, you know, Armed, you know, armchair generals and these like computer, you know, extremely online people that are like, 
oh, the Confederacy, they didn't last five years and all this kind of like stupid BS. Most of these people can't even name their great grandparents. That's how, you know, um, that's how removed they are from a normal family system. Um, is it like they, they know they, they, hell, they might not even be able to name their grandparents. Um, at least, you know, they might name the living ones, but they may not know the, the one who passed away. But I can guarantee you they don't know their great grandparents. So they're so removed from everything that, yeah, they'll just go wherever. It's like, oh, I can get a six figure salary if I move from Chicago to Richmond. I don't care. Big deal. Uh, it's not and, like I'm and my kids anything. don't have friends because, you know, my, my kids are dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the dog mom, the rise of the dog mom, the dog parents, like, that's a, an end of a genetic line. You, you, it's like, I mean, it's, it's really crazy to think about. Like, I remember getting a Christmas card from a, a normie one time, and it was her with her dogs saying, like, oh, Merry Christmas, to, you know, or Happy Holidays. They don't even say Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays from um, to you from my family, and here are these two dogs. And I'm like, man, this is grotesque. Like, I like animals, but they're, they're not my kids. Right. Well, they actually see them as their kids, you know? They they think a family is whatever you make it. Yeah, it's an ersatz substitute right. of a of a real family. Yeah. Well, and you know, I I kind of <clears throat> Travis is going to get upset with me about this, but I'm going to go back to our uh, transhumanism episode. You know, all this really is is it seeing you as this isolated consciousness of pure reason that can formulate reality however it wants to formulate it, and. You know, you don't have to actually do anything. You don't have to have any permanence or ties to uh, your your people or to your land. It's just whatever you want to be your family, you can be your family. It's really horrifying when you think about it. Well, well, they've been pushing this crap on TV for a while now. I mean, just think of Friends. You know, yeah, there was some type of family dynamic there, but they essentially made themselves their family. And not, you know, they're not connected at all. Um, we, we can, you know, let's let's go back a little bit even, even further um, to the Andy Griffith show. Now, was it a wholesome show? It's more wholesome than what we have today. But at the same time, it's not. There was no mother and father. The only people married there was a dysfunctional, you know, drunk. Um, Andy wasn't married. B wasn't married. Barney wasn't married. And um. So, so it's just kind of like this whole meltdown of that nuclear family, or should I say, the traditional family, and to what um, into what they want it to eventually become, and who's they? I mean, you can feel whatever they you want in that one. The the they in this context really is unimportant. It's just the fact yeah. that this was intentional. It wasn't accidental. Um, and, and really a lot of this is an attack on the South because the South was very big about families and, you know, it got its, um, it, it got its culture largely from the, the English aristocracies. Um, that was a, that was a huge influence, uh, especially where I am, uh, you know, what family you were had a lot of importance. So re uh, recently I've been talking to my, my grandmother, um, and you know, she talks about one of her, one of her families, uh, one of the families in her, her lineage, uh, had a split, and so how they symbolize this split is they changed one letter of their name, their last name, 
uh, one side fought for the South and one side fought for the North. And then you can go back in the history books and you look at that name spelt with that one letter versus the other letter and you know which side of the war they fought on. That's pretty interesting. Um, to go back to families, I did, I'm not sure if y'all went through this. I did when I was little. Uh, and eventually, by the late 90s, uh, we stopped doing it, unfortunately. But every Sunday, there was a family supper. And it would be, you know, me, my dad, uh, my grandmother, my grandfather, my great-grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, and they would all fill in the house. And every Sunday after church, it would be a big, big supper. And the kids would go out and play um, <laughs> until it was ready, and that's what we'd do. And so it's like, that was a very, I mean, this is within living memory. And now I don't know anyone who does that anymore. My family, we still try to do it now. Like my wife and I will do it and we'll say, hey, we'll have a cousin's supper, like, you know, once or twice a week, let's come over and, and you know, try to rekindle that thing that that experience but that was very commonplace when i it was like oh yep family supper after church um not immediately after church but um we'd all get together and do that and i'm not sure if that's a, a similar experience that y'all had or, or at least heard about so we we kind of did family uh family dinner um directly you know i did directly after church because when i grew up we went to church in the morning and church mm -hmm. at night and um everybody i knew just i just assumed everybody had a big family family dinner and um my my aunt was probably the best example my great aunt was probably the best example because before she died she had hold on one two four or five generations in that house so i mean it was it was massive and you know maybe in the cousin i would come over every once in a while but it still kind of felt awkward being around that side of your family but yeah mm -hmm. so it, it's not completely foreign and i tried to rekindle something like that uh with my uh with my family however sometimes out after church on sunday they want to go do something else and i'm like i'm not i'm not going all the way down to the beach on, on a sunday so no <laughs> Yeah, it's like a school night. Yeah, you know, I mean, we can't go do that. We got to get prepped for work on Monday. I mean, that's kind of my mindset anyway. But yeah, uh, we we were doing it, and then COVID happened. And you know, my thought on COVID, and I don't want us to necessarily get on the COVID topic, but when COVID initially started, I thought it was real. Um, I thought we were gonna it was gonna be Charlton Heston and the Omega Man. There, the dead bodies all over the place. Um, I thought that you know this is it. And as a, you know, as a father and as a husband, I was pretty worried about it. And then maybe within four months, it started getting really, really political. Now the left is like, no, you got to have your shots. We've got to, you know, destroy the economy. And, and, you know, we weren't seeing bodies in the streets. This wasn't, you know, um, 28 days later. I mean, it, it's not like things are, are really, this isn't the Spanish flu. And uh, it just became very political. It became, you know, the left is, you know, authoritarianism, this tyranny, like you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you know, and it was supply chain issues. And the genuine right is starting to go, hmm, this doesn't add up. I'm, I'm really not sure about this, but that's kind of what killed our rekindling of the family suppers. Um, I think that was a big influence. Uh, it, was, it was an odd time during then. Uh, because, you know, Trump came out and said, oh, this is a huge deal, this is a huge deal. And all of the 
um, all the people on the left, you know, your Nancy Pelosi's, your, um, you know, just name off the, the rats up there. Uh, you know, they're all like, it's it's fate. Go hug your local Chinese person. Um, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, because, you know, he called Trump called it the China virus. So obviously that means that he he's wanting to be racist against Chinese people. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, so that that whole that whole thing happened. And, and I think especially with the right, uh, because Trump was a little bit of their darling. I say a little bit. They, he was a lot of bit of their darling. Um, they kind of just sided with Trump because Trump said something. You know, he was making the mm -hmm. left mad. So you know, well, I guess it's a re it's a serious issue because Trump thinks it's a serious issue. Um, and then my my big, I guess, eye opening was you know the the minute that Trump was like, I don't think we need to shut anything down. They instantly yep. went full, you know, petty tyrants all over the place. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it was the power grab that, that really opened my eyes to kind of see what was going on. Now, the thing that did scare me, and I'm not going to lie, you go back and watch the videos, it is pretty terrifying, even if it's just a small, which it, it was just a small number of people. Uh, they had these people literally like seizing and dropping dead on the floor because of COVID, and it was getting in the cerebral spinal fluid. And still, I I haven't been able to find any like serious documentation about this. Are you referring to the the, the Chinese videos and images that were coming out early on? Yeah, I watched some videos cool? of yeah. some. Um, uh, there, there were there were a bunch of citizen journalists who were recording it, and this guy in the in the hallway of a a library, he's walking by some of the doors. He's on his phone. Literally, he just drops his phone and then falls dead. I mean, that's that's pretty terrifying if it could do that to you, right? Because you don't even know no, I, you got it. I, I agree. I remember seeing those videos early on, and I was like. You know, I'm, I remember my daughter was sitting in my lap and uh, we had finished supper and I'm, you know, watching the news. And it's like I started getting that tick, you know, that like that eye movement. Yeah. Where your eyes twitching. I was like, oh, okay, this is, uh, I'm going to live to see these, uh, these horrors and hopefully it doesn't take my family and my children. Yeah. And like you, like you mentioned on like, can I like verify this stuff? Cause I mean, early on we were seeing crazy stuff, like people eating bats or throwing up like green goo and, mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, holy, you know, crap, this is, this is pretty serious. Now I ended up getting, I've had COVID twice. And the first time uh, was last year. I think it was last year. And I was very lightheaded kind of out of it. Um, sore throat, runny nose. Um, but ev everyone that I was hanging out with, I went to a business meeting, everyone got COVID and they tested for it. And then I got it. I didn't, I didn't test for it. I didn't think I needed to that, you know, everybody I was sitting next to got it. And then I started like re feeling really badly, but I got it about over a week after a week. And then I got it maybe a month ago. And I noticed something was wrong. Cause I was, e I was eating some fried oysters with um um 
sauce. I'm trying to, I'm having a brain fart here on the type of sauce it was, but it has horseradish in it and, and stuff like that. And I couldn't taste anything. Mm. And I was like, mm, that's weird. <laughs> you know, it, it, any horseradish, I mean, it's got like a little uh, sting to it. And um, I, I tested it and it was like, yep, test positive. But that one wasn't as bad as the first time, but it, it, it went away after like days. I've had far worse colds I picked up from my kids and daycare and stuff like that, which, which really put me out. But I just view the, the COVID hysteria nowadays. You still see, I don't know about y'all, I still see every once in a while, I'll see somebody driving alone in their car with a, with mask, a mask on. on. Yeah. Yeah. And like, what are you doing, man? Like, are you just going to do it forever? Yes. Like, I saw a guy walking down the road in Richmond. This was like two days ago, uh, walking down the road by himself with his mask on. It's like 90 degrees outside, no one around him, and he's got his mask on. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Well, he's going to catch pneumonia for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah, probably. Sorry, we got off on the COVID kick there. Yeah, I know, I know. So so before we get too deep, let's introduce you. You are Rick Dirtwater, and you write for the, uh, you write an opinion column for the Boat Shoe Nationalist, correct? I do. Uh, it's called the uh, the Boat Shoe Beat, and I write occasionally. Uh, I wish it would be more, but I'm so busy. I don't really have a whole lot of time for it. For Identity Dixie, uh, it's a Southern Nationalist blog, and I usually put something out at least once every two weeks, and it'll either be just some you know rambling article about something that you know caught my eye, or or I'm, I will interview some folks occasionally that are uh, Identity Dixie contributors. But I've been doing that for a while. I've got a Telegram channel, just got on Gab, finally. Um, took you long enough. So, yeah, yeah, took, <laughs> took me a while. You know, but I, I think supporting sort of these alternative um, social media companies, that, that really is the route we have to go. Because the the you know I used to I used to be you know used to be the wild west on Facebook like five years ago I mean you yeah. can just post whatever you want to you can have some fun you can do some trolling you can't do any of that anywhere I mean you can't do it on on the mainstream so you can't do it on Facebook you can't you certainly can't do it on Twitter um, that was so after I, the I the meme war of 2016 that's when they they locked down real hard uh, I I was in uh, both the groups that. That is, you know, it, this sounds like a high claim, but I'm. It, it is literally what happened. the The two groups that got Trump elected through the through the memes. Um, I was in both of those groups, and the day after Trump got elected, they got nuked. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, you know, and Identity Dixie. I mean, they had a uh, a huge uh, Facebook um, footprint, and I was total maybe fifty thousand followers. Uh, and all that got nuked. They, you know, they yeah. all got like total, totally nuked. Um, and you know, Facebook, you know, helps out Antifa. They help out the left. They help help out all these NGOs, especially Twitter. Twitter's even more egregious than Facebook is. Mm -hmm. So, I would say for anybody who's listening, it, don't don't post political stuff on Facebook. You will you're being watched. Um, you're being collected. Your information is being collected, same to, and even more so on Twitter. Uh, go to alternative platforms. Go to Telegram or go to Gap. That's where you need to go. Uh, I'll even add to that um, the the largest proliferation 
uh, a concentrated proliferation of scams and child pornography is on the Messenger, the Facebook Messenger app. If you have a child or if you yourself have Facebook Messenger, I would erase your account and delete your Messenger app. Not only are they stealing your data, not only are they cataloging you, it, you're you're also a prime target for uh, predation, either monetarily or sexually. Um, that is unironically, I'm not kidding at all. Well, that sounds about right with Facebook, that like they can wipe out all the thought criminals they want to, they can provide all the information to the SPLC, Oh, but God forbid that, that they're, um, you know, actual criminals and scammers and grifters and pedophiles operating on Facebook. We, you know, there's just, we can't take care of that. Right. Well, and, and, and you know, it really shows you where their priorities are. Well, I mean, but is that really surprising? I mean, they, they bought hook, line, and sinker into the whole tranny argument and stuff. So really, they're not helping out pedophiles. They're helping the the what what's the term for them? The maps. Yeah, the uh, minor attracted persons. Yeah, they're they're helping them gain credibility by by being there. So they're I mean essentially they're platforming pedos. Yeah, they're they're plat they're platforming you know bonfire fodder. Um, <laughs> yes. And I, you know, I would agree with that. In fact, I was talking to um, Patrick Martin. Uh, he's an ID Dixie uh, contributor. We were just talking about, like, you know, what what does it take for people to, like, they go, you know, enough's enough. And this has been a long time uh, commentary in dissident rights circles. And, and, like, well, what does it take? And, you know, I'm I'm a father. And I think the really big one, the really big catalyst and you see it even politically, like with Glenn Youngkin winning the governorship in Virginia. Um, I think it's this tranny access to children. The Because the they say tranny access, drag queen story hour, access to children. It's, it's really pedophilia access to children. We all know what that means. Yeah. And I think that is a, ooh, you want to put the finger on the pulse. It's taking someone's children and sexually abusing someone's children. Because you can even go to, oh, you know, I'm a, a a George Bush Republican. But if you say, hey, I want to take your, the left wants to take your children and sexually molest them. That's what they want to do. You will flip that guy from a George Bush senior to a Francisco Franco supporter. And <laughs> I and laugh because you're not wrong. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Think about it. And um, I mean, I, there's a town where I, I live. It's fairly close to me. And there is a tranny that rides his bicycle every day, shakes his ass, plays music, and he's this sort of cool town eccentric character, you know, in air quotes. But I know that guy's family. And that guy's family has said he is a pedophile that molests children. And it's just like, oh, well, there's smoke, there's fire. So any grown man that wants to put on a tutu and, you know, and, and shake his ass to the Bee Gees while, you know, go, going up and down the road is mentally ill at the very least. And is probably a sexual predator. So you just cannot allow these monsters near your children. And if someone says, no, I want your children. Well, the response is not small C conservatism, but probably 
some sort of fascistic response. I mean, it's really the only thing you can do. You can't have them take your children. Yeah, I I was having this conversation with the recent um, dust-ups, you know, in my, my neck of the woods um, about this. And, um, you know, the the guy who came up with the whole queer theory thing and the, the transgenderism, um, you know, not only was he a anti-fascist, which doesn't actually say anything about fascism, but you, you, you catch what I'm, I'm, I'm laying down there. Right. Um, not only was he that, but he was a open pedophile and claimed was that it Hirschfield was this Magnus Hirschfield. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I've got to get this quote because I've, I've seen it on a few videos and I read that portion of his book once, but, um, I had to, I had to go wash my brain afterwards, but, um, he essentially says that, um, you know, a, a, a six month old engaging in activity is akin to eating broccoli. Oh. I, that's the, that's the, uh, the comparison. It's no different. So, uh, this 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 is where these people get their ideology from, you know. You can't reason with people like that. No, no, you really no. can't. You I mean, these people shouldn't be allowed in civilized societies. Well, you know, it, that is criminal behavior. Like most of the South still has laws protecting children, but we're just choosing not to enforce those said laws. Right. Um. For for instance, a registered pedophile can't go, you know, any place that there's children involved. But yet, how many are turning a blind eye away with the drag queen story hour? They're just kind of ignoring that. Uh, that that one that song that came out several years back by that uh that queer choir. Uh, I don't remember the name. We're of coming it, for your children. Said, yes, yeah, we're coming for your children. But literally, the entire like grid that they that was showing them things <laughs> yeah. was nothing but sexual predators. Yeah, people convicted like, really? of child pornography and and um, actual pedophilia. So, I mean, but that's it, an example of them saying the the quiet quiet part out loud. Like, I mean, if if you really want to get your propaganda down, maybe don't use a choir full of pedophiles. Well, I mean, that's that's where they're at at this point, right? That's the next step in the game. They want to normalize it, you know, and. You know the you you brought up Andy Griffith and and stuff like that. I mean the the guy who played um, uh, Barney Fife was a was a homosexual, and you know he he normalized some things in that show that was a stepping stone in in normalizing homosexuality, and it's it's a a, a type of feminine male that that is is highly incompetent, and having that as an acceptable kind of man. In society, well, was it Barney that was a homosexual, or was it? I think it was Gomer. Oh, I think it was Gomer too, actually. Uh, okay, yeah. well, it, he was a singer. Point still stands. Yeah, point yeah. still stands. I just didn't want to besmirch Don Knotts. I actually like him as a yeah. comedian. <laughs> yeah, that, his name escaped me, and I was like, Don Knotts. I don't think Don Knotts was a homosexual. Well, it I, was Gomer. It was he played Gomer Pyle. Yeah, I, right. I apologize. I apologize for to Don to Don Knotts. All right, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, was he in the Apple Dumpling Gang? I can't remember if he was in that or not. Yeah, he um, was. 
him yeah, and Tim yeah. Conway did a lot of great uh, movies together. I, I mean, for, as an actor, he's probably those are probably my favorite two uh, comedy duos. I think I read somewhere that Don Knotts was actually a, like a you know they say this former Marine, always a Marine. I think he was a Marine drill sergeant, believe it or not. Um, before he got into acting, that's where he got the eye pop that he would do in the mm. show. Where he would yell at recruits, and his eyes would pop out. Um, but that—that's just. I got a whole bunch of stuff up ahead, and it eventually comes out every once in a while. <laughs> uh, 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 kind of move, like one of the things that I've been wanting to talk to you about was um, was about boat shoe national the nationalism, the boat shoe beat, the the whole um, idea behind it. Um, I, I know we were in a, uh, I think it was some, one of the chat groups and, um, uh, I asked if you had any articles explaining it, but unfortunately the, um, identity Dixie got, it was either they took articles down or something along those lines. Uh, and the one where you explained what it exactly was, was taken down. So could you explain what is boat shoe nationalism? Like, what does that mean? Is it like an, an aesthetic, an idea, both? Um, that's a good question. Um, I had written primer on uh, Boat Shoe Nationals, and it essentially came out as a meme. Like, um, you know, Identity Dixie is not, you know, a membership. So people think, like, Patriot Front, or they, they, they think traditional workers' party. Um, both, in my opinion, bad organizations. Um, but it's not a mem- it's like a fellowship of content creators. That's what it is. So, and we, you know, excuse my language, we shoot the shit, we have fun, we just sort of make jokes and stuff like that. And so, Boat Your Nationalism came out as kind of a joke, um, as a, uh, I think kind of a good way to describe it would be like normie nationalism from 40 years ago, which is, would be considered hate speech today. Um, and you know, they're different subcultures and cultures in the South. There are guys who wear Carhartt, there are guys who wear Justins, uh, and there's guys who wear Sperry's, that wear boat shoes. And you can tell when you see somebody, you see a guy wearing a seersucker shirt, um, Carolina blue shorts and Sperry's. And you don't think that's a liberal. That guy's probably a reactionary, probably middle class, upper middle class, maybe, you know, a defunct aristocracy. And that's kind of the Boshu nationalism. It, it is an ideology. It's a very reactionary, law and order, pragmatic approach to things. Like, does this work? Does it not work? Uh, and it is an aesthetic. It's seersucker. It's boat shoes. It's khakis. It's polos. Um, that doesn't mean it denigrates guys that wear Carhartt jackets or wears, you know, blue jeans and work boots. But it is a different part of the South. Um, and you know, for me, it, it, I just, my mind goes to Chesapeake Bay, it goes to Virginia beach, it goes to the outer banks. <clears throat> and those guys are very, very right wing. Uh, when you get to talk to them, get a couple beers on them. And that's kind of what Boshu nationalism is. It's a, uh, politically incorrect Southern right wing sort of thing. And that came out as a meme and. So now I sort of make it as my headline for articles that I'm writing, and it's just you know, sort of part of me, and uh, that's that's really it. And so, you know, any questions? I mean, I'm sure y'all wear boat shoes down that way. Is that right? 
Um, some of us do. I don't yeah. have any boat shoes, so I can't find any that fit me. <laughs> I, I would be more in the class of the the Carhartt wearing. <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of where I came from. Well, to be honest, I mostly wear my Justins. I wear my Justin cowboy boots. Um, like, you know, for for example, I went out today. I went to go run some errands for my family, and I went to the grocery store. And I was the best dressed person that I saw in, in my entire trip going into town, going to the grocery store. And it's not trying for me to be an elitist. All I was wearing were cowboy khakis and a polo shirt. Uh oh, your your audio changed up there. So you got a phone call. Yeah, I I hung up on it. Can you all hear me? Yeah, we, you're yeah, good. It just it changed a little bit. That's all I was commenting. Sorry. Uh, go uh, repeat that last comment. I apologize. Oh you no! Know, so it's like you know, I, I went into town. I'm the best dressed guy in town, and it's not wearing. I'm not wearing. You know. A suit, you know, a tux with tails or, you know, anything like that. I'm not wearing a tie. I'm wearing a polo shirt, khakis, and cowboy boots. And I'll wear spares. I wear my boat shoes when I go out, but I don't wear them with pants. You don't wear them ever with socks. Um, and it's one of those things that's like you need to have respect in yourself and how you dress. Uh, and I went out and, you know, there's kids, this is like one o'clock in the afternoon, kids still in their pajamas out in public. Um, people just like not having any pride in how they look or how they dress. And so it is sort of an elitist thing, but it, it's more of you can be better than what you see the rest of the culture being. Because I remember when I was a kid, no one dressed how they dress today. If you saw a dad out in public, he was even if he was a working man, he's a blue collar guy. So, and it was on a weekend, he was, he was outside of work. He was wearing shorts and boat shoes and a polo shirt. Or he was wearing jeans and maybe he was wearing cowboy boots and a collared shirt. But it wasn't this like, hey, I'm going out in the public wearing a Marvel t-shirt and cargo shorts looking like, you know, excuse my language, a bag of ass going out in public. And I think with our people, if we say, you need to wear, uh, you know, a blazer and a tie to go to Food Lion, you know, to go to, go to the grocery store. But you de need to have some pride in yourself and how you dress and how you hold yourself, your posture. Like all these things sort of add up. And it, it's a reflection on you. It's a reflection on your last name. It's a reflection on your house. When I say house, I don't mean your dwelling. I mean the house, your last name. Yeah, for sure. Well, that and that's been one of my uh, my big that's recent developments, I'll say, because uh, before I would have been the guy in the Marvel T-shirt and cargos and in <laughs> the Walmart. Um, there, there's worse people in Walmart in, in South Mississippi, I promise you. But um, you know, I I just I'm going out. I I didn't really have a care for how I looked. It was just you know it is what it is. Um. And uh, I'm 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 changing some of that up because you know just in general it's it's not just a presentation thing it's also uh um you know if you if you care for yourself and you put effort into into you know how you are that trickles down into how you treat yourself so it's a it's a it's a larger issue at stake than just. Well, nobody really cares what I look like. It's not for them. It's it's for yourself, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you go ahead, sir. 
Oh no! Uh, well, I, I was gonna piggyback off of what he says, and I believe it was your um your article that you wrote. Uh, this was several months ago, probably. Can't even remember the um the title of it off the top of my head. But um talking about you know go put a collared shirt on when you go to the grocery store, and even now, like even if I'm just running up to the feed store, say I get up early and I'm doing some work outside, and then I need to run up to the feed store, I'll change my you know what I'm wearing to put a collared shirt on because I'm not going to go out in a sleeveless t-shirt anymore because I respect myself and where I'm going more than that. So, um, that was all I had. Well, I got myself a nice pair of boots recently, so I'm, I'm upgrading. <laughs> <laughs> boots are a must have. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, it I, reminds me my, uh, my daughter, so I, it was a, like a daddy-daughter day. Like, I just had my daughter for the day while my wife was out uh, with my son. And I just had a T-shirt on. I had, like, my, an old college T-shirt on and um, some khakis. And uh, he was like, well, daddy, you, you can't go out wearing that. I said, well, what do you mean? He was like, you're just wearing a T-shirt. Like, that's what we wear around the house. You need to, uh, you need to dress up if we're going to go out to, uh, to lunch. I was like damn, I, I guess you're right. <laughs> I need to. <laughs> and, you know, that's another element is that children see how their parents dress. Yeah. And they want to emulate that. And I have a friend of mine. He does not dress up. He never dresses up for anything. His wife doesn't dress up for anything. Their grandmother doesn't dress up for anything. So the daughter only wants to wear jeans and a T-shirt. She does not even know how to wear a dress. So you think it's like, well, these are nominal, superficial, you know, aesthetics. They're not though. Um, if your children see that you have pride in what you wear, I'm not saying you gotta go, you know, toe shine and you know, you know, get polish out and shine your shoes. I mean, there's a time and a place for that. But you need to, you know, dress like you're an adult. And like I said, it kind of goes back to when I was a kid, I never saw anybody dress like they do now. There was never pajama pants you're wearing out in public. I mean, guys, I, you you could go to a McDonald's in like the early '90s, and mothers are wearing dresses into McDonald's, um, and like that's how people dressed. And and again, it's if you uh, degrade that or you minimize that, it's like, oh, that's not important. It is important though. Uh, and I, my thought is, you know, the 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 greater culture, the monoculture wants everyone dumbed down to the lowest possible level. They want people with pink hair and pajama pants using their EBT card to go to the gas station, right? Um, you know, to, to get to pick up Twinkies. That's what the culture wants. Um, what they don't want to see, and they don't know how to react to it, is they see healthy families that are well dressed. Again. You know, you're not in a, in a tux and tails, but people who are well-dressed, they have pride in themselves. Because when people dress down, they don't have any pride in themselves. It's, um, you know, sort of in the dissonant right, you know, people say it's a patrician mindset or a plebeian mindset. It is a, that's the mark of a pleb. That's a, essentially a peasant. And that's what the powers that be want our people to be. They want them to be peasants. They want them in the sleeveless, mossy oak t-shirt, and ripped jeans, which there's a time and a place for that. I'm not, I'm not beating anybody up who dress. I'll dress like that. If I'm, you know, clearing brush on the property, I'll dress like that. 
but they don't want you they they want you to wear that to go to someone's funeral they want you to dress like that for a job interview they want you to be a pleb they want you to be a peasant so if you dress well it's like mm, that's someone you can't break that's someone who actually has pride in themselves well and that's the um you know i've, I've commented on this a, a few times but the the mindset of of being the the pleb as you're saying I've, I've i've i can't remember how i phrased it last time um but you're just a servant right you're not anybody of importance you're not anybody of value um and I, and that's where my address you know previously came from was you know i'm not i'm i'm not anybody important and i still kind of do that some in some ways you know i call myself a swamp rat all the time um you know who am i i'm just a swamp rat trying to talk on the internet uh but you know it, it's especially me growing up me having kids me having to set an example um how you treat yourself is how your kids are going to treat you and how everybody else is going to treat you and when they're when they're when your kids see their dad being treated like a, a peasant all the time they're just going to think that well i guess we're peasants and they don't even really put it in that kind of framing but they understand the implications of it for sure a hundred percent hundred percent agree on that yeah i was uh talking with my nephew actually today and um he wanted to get on the floor to eat crackers and i you know, I, I told him i was like no if you're gonna eat you're gonna eat in the chair because we're not irish peasants <laughs> and, uh, so I, I figured I'm going to teach him how to be a good racist, but uh, <laughs> hey, listen, my family's all Irish peasants, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and my well, business even... partner is one too, so I'll, I'll get in on that and say, yeah, the Irish aren't white. <laughs> 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 we get some people raging in the comments. <laughs> yeah, afterwards. Yeah. Oh, don't I'm joking, get, by the way, to anybody listening. Don't don't get me started on the the Italians. No, I know they're a separate, separate animal. Yeah. Um. Anyways, um. So we were talking a little bit about Virginia earlier. How can? All right. So I, I kind of want to make this question blend in with the last one. How how can boat shoe nationalism help Virginia? as she is today and in turn how could that also help the great this greater south as a whole uh we'll obviously be seeing ourselves in a better light but then how does that tangibly affect um what um how does that tangibly affect the environment around us not not even the political structure because you know we're kind of sitting here that the political structure needs to just like go away um in many many instances well, well i mean i'll just i'll just start shooting from the hip on a couple of items i think politically for virginia um what needs to happen is probably a a red wave and i don't mean that's not an endorsement of the gop or the republican party but um reclaiming the the house and the senate and long-term you have to have some sort of secession movement to isolate Northern Virginia and have it uh, become its own state. Um, you either do that or, and this is a, an option that I do not like, uh, and I've written about it sort of tongue in cheek about West Virginia. Um, 
and I'm joking, but I'm not joking, but West Virginia belongs to Virginia. Uh, and that may tick off some listeners, but um, if you, you know, actually read into the history of West Virginia as a state, it's, it's a fake state. Uh, it was, uh, it's a contrived state. It only exists because of Abraham Lincoln and the Union Army. Um, that if, let's say you can't have those northern counties become their own state, then maybe you annex or you consolidate West Virginia with Virginia. And now you're able to turn the tables on that massive population in those counties. And then now Virginia more or less still within the confines of the Republic, not that the Republic really exists anymore. The Union has some sovereignty and is not controlled by Fairfax and Alexandria and Arlington and Loudoun. Um, so on a, a real politique, that's really the only way that's gonna happen. Um, and because my mind goes a million places, there's also the possibility, you, you look at a state like Ohio, Ohio used to be a very, very strong democratic um, location, democratic state. Now it's really a almost reliably red Republican conservative state. The reason why that happened is because Ohio economically went on a downturn and a lot of these transplants, these ruthless people, these, oh, I gotta go to the city, I need to go travel, see the world. They left the state of Ohio. So Ohio, you know, the natives were able to be like, well, we're gonna vote conservative, nominally conservative. So that could happen if Virginia's economy gets even worse, maybe all the Indians that move into the outskirts of Richmond or, you know, these Yankees from New Jersey who moved into Fairfax, maybe they leave to go to greener pastures. And I hope that's not North Carolina or other parts of the South, but maybe they move on. Um, so that's a possibility. But as for both your nationalism, I think the big thing is, and, and this more bleeds into Southern nationalism. I view both your nationalism as a subsect of Southern nationalism. It's for people who believe in themselves and their identity and their homegrown native identity. And that's really what needs to happen. And if more people recognize that their identity is a state or region with an actual history, more so than fantasy football and Netflix, then you've got something really powerful on your hands. And um, I mean, that's really what we're up against. We're up against this nasty, you know, ungodly American culture that wants to turn every region, every, every subgroup into good little Americans. And good little Americans are soy boys, fat, dumb, stupid, um, athe atheists, um, they get a vasectomy. That, that's what a good little American is. And we can't have that. So if we can have people, and you know, I, I, I beat up on Yankees and stuff like that, but, but even if, you know, New England, even if the, the homegrown nat natives of New England said we want a New England nationalism. Good for them. They don't need to be with us, but good for them. Anything for balkanization of the American empire is good. So I've been, I've been rambling and kind of meandering my way through your question, but that's where I'm going to, I'm going to stop it for now. I'm all for that balkanization. I've been, I've been hollering about that for some time. I, most of my buddies are tired of hearing about it <laughs> from me. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've often said that, um, you know, I, I don't really, I, I think that, I think that New England, I've got some buddies up from Maine, for instance, and, um, 
you know, I, I've mentioned, I've mentioned to them often that, you know, we're really not of the same, same people. That's not an insult. And you guys got your own thing going on over there. Um, and that's fine. You guys can be your own thing, but, you know, don't bring that down here, please. Leave it up there. Uh, and and they and they've they've agreed more or less with that. It's not it's not like you know with the with the common man, if we want to put it that way, that you're going to have a whole lot of pushback from that. It it's really this elitist type uh, that that thinks that you know it's just it's just well it's all the same thing, right? It's just different flavors of the same thing. You're all American, right? It's kind of a boomerism, anyways. Um. Where you just want people to be American, and when you ask them what that is, they don't really have a good answer for it. Um, my they, own, they don't. My my own little they ramble there. Yeah. Um, no, and you're and you're right. And I was actually I was talking to a family member not long about the boomers. I don't want this to be a beat up boomer thing because there are a lot of boomers that are very good. Yeah. But there are a lot of boomers that are very bad too, and they're, they're generationally. More or less, people beat up on millennials, and that is for for good reason. People don't really beat up on the silent generation. They don't beat up on the greatest generation unless they're a wig nat or something like that. Um, they don't beat up on Gen X, but they beat up on boomers. And they beat up on boomers because it is almost an in-your-face issue with boomers. Again, not all of them because you all probably have listeners that are boomers, and I, I like some boomers. But you meet a lot of boomers and it's this fatalistic hypochondria that they've got, this massive spending, this new frugality. They're nothing like their parents, um, which, you know, we're talking about like attire and how you dress and how you go out. And I was raised in a multi-generational home um, with one boomer and the rest were all born before 1935. And Anyone born before 1935, if they went out, they're wearing a, a blazer and a tie, or they're wearing a dress. They're certainly wearing makeup. And then you see the boomers who are now their age, and they don't even dress like, they don't even wear makeup, at least in, in my experience. Some of them do, some of them don't. So again, I don't want this to, to sidetrack us on, on, on boomer hate, but there's a lot of stuff with the boomer when they're like, oh, we're proud Americans. And it's like, this is the... You say you're a proud American, but this is a country that wants to cancel John Wayne, who was a hero of yours on, right. on television. Um, so, well, what is it to be an American? Because nowadays in, in the zeitgeist, to be an American is to be a, a, have a preferred pronoun and be a tranny and, and have SSRIs and, and be a weirdo and be depressed and, you know, wear pajama pants out in public. Like, that's a, that's a loser mentality. That's not something you want your children to want to be. <clears throat> well, but they'll excuse it because, you know, why why sh why can't they be what they want to be, right? It's just be whatever you want to be mentality. Um, yeah, that but that's not real. I mean, it's just, that's all abstract, artificial. Just be whatever you want to be. What does that mean? You know, it makes, it makes me think of this. I'm sure y'all seen this uh, comedy with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley called Step Brothers, and it's like, well, I wanted to be a dinosaur, but it's like, but you're not a dinosaur. <laughs> it, it, you can like use that example for like the trannies. It's like, I'm a they them or a zur or something. It's like, but none of that is real. <laughs> you're not a T Rex. 
right this is all mental, mental illness but uh, you know i'm, I'm kind of tracing that back to the same kind of mentality that i've gotten from boomers you know man i'm and again i mean this is a generalization that doesn't mean every single instance you know you can't take the generalization and necessarily apply it to each individual in the in the group how generalizations work um but you know, by and large, when I talk to boomers, that's the kind of mindset they have. Well, you can be whatever you want to be. And it's like, no, you really can't. There's a whole lot of limitations keeping me from being a basketball player, <laughs> you know? And, and you know, it's, it's, it's some of that has to do with my, you know, my physic, my physicality. And you know, even when I was in great shape, I was not a basketball player at all. You know, it's just, that's just not what I'm cut out to be. Um, I'm kind of wondering if if maybe we maybe we lay too much blame on the boomers because they were the first generation to be to be psyop in the way that they were psyop, and they were you know they they're the ones that did the MK Ultra experiments. Uh, they're the ones that grew up with televisions on their homes, and then people started programming through the television, and now they now they got smartphones. And they can't handle this technology. I would argue that we none of us can handle this technology um, unless we're being extremely cautious. But they were the first generation to grow up with these these type of amenities. So um, how much of it is, how much was that, uh, how do I want to say this, how much did that affect the way they view the world Especially whenever they were, you know, going out to get jobs because they literally could be anything they wanted to be. Most of them wanted to be a, you know, a nine to five employee and make a decent living and come home. Okay, so they were everything they could ever hope to be, and that just got carried on to now. Whatever you want to be, which includes up to you can change your biology and become a girl now. Um, you know the whole. Um, there is no limits to quote being what you want to be. I mean, sort of my thought is, and maybe I'm overly critical because I, I I actually just dealt with a boomer issue like three hours ago. Uh, <laughs> is that having been raised and been around people older than boomers, they are just as sort of thunderstruck by boomer behavior as Gen X and, and older millennials are. Um, they don't really understand. It's like, yeah, they watch TV. They, they grew up with, you know, Davy Crockett and the Wild Frontier and, you know, little, little rascals and all this kind of stuff. But they're just so abnormal compared to their parents that their parents who are still alive are, you know, bewildered by their behavior. And I even see Gen X and older millennials. I think younger, young millennials and Zoomers are sort of a league of their own, unfortunately. Yeah, they are. Uh, and that's, that, I'm excluding dissident right guys. So anybody who's like, oh man, I'm a Zoomer, I'm a, a base Zoomer waffing guy. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about like normie Zoomers and younger millennials, people born in like the 90s or ni post 1995. But you know, the older millennials and the Gen Xers and the older generations and the boomers, they really don't know what to make out of the boomers. They're just, again, not beating up on them. There are plenty of good, good guys out there, good guys and, and gals. But it is really strange. And I'm not sure if we can chalk it up just to tell them. I think it could be 
the 60s were so bad that even now we're probably finding downstream issues from the 1960s, from essentially a social revolution in the 1960s, and how badly it damaged those children from the late 50s and the 1960s, um, that they're almost aliens. Like, I'm, I'm, and they had this great civilization, they had this great economy, you can whatever you want to be. I mean, you can come from, you know, a lower class family, and now you're the CEO of a company. Uh, but th that doesn't really apply to any other generation than them. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, sometimes it can happen, but not like for the boomers, where it was just so much available to them. And um, I just find boomer social graces to be really bad. Um, like they're very critical of people. Um, they spend money like. Um, a crazy person. Um, they don't seem to really give money or take care of younger people and their families. And they're really just kind of crazy hypochondriacs. Um, I mean, what about decline in church attendance? It's like you go to a church nowadays, it's either, you know, the crypt keeper and, you know, some based guy with 10 kids, but I don't really see a lot of boomers in churches anymore. But that might be different based off my experience. Well, that's, that's that's been my experience too, especially down here in the in the Bible Belt. You know, the Bible Belt. Uh, you had the uh, well, I guess the the Boomers kind of held on for a little bit, but the Boomers are really the ones that doubled down on dispensationalism. And you know, I, I I'm sure that there's some dispensationalists listening to this, and I apologize for, you know, to you personally for what I'm about to say, uh, for it has implications in a larger sense, but. Uh, in the sense of, uh, you know, eschatological areas and uh, social engagement, the boomers have been the most black-pilled generation that I have ever interacted with. They are just, well, you know, nothing that the, nothing that the, the civil government does matters. You know, you just need to keep doing you, and as long as you fix you, you're going to be fine. Like, and but we have to vote Republican. Yeah, yeah, but vote Republican. Because um, Jews. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, unironically, that's exactly that's exactly what they'll say. Uh, their their primary reason for voting red is that you know the Republicans want to defend the state of Israel. Um. And it, and it gets to the point where, um. Uh. The the they basically worship Jews. Um, you know, they're they're the other part of the Christian family that you know, hasn't fully come back into the body yet. And they're you know, it's the John Hagee thing of there's two ways to get into heaven, you know, be be washed in the blood of Christ and be a Jew. He actually said that behind from behind the pulpit. Um several times actually. Um But yeah, I mean that that's a that's a huge, 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 huge deal with uh with boomers. I I've had a I've had a boomer stare me in the eye and say that the state of Israel was a great thing because the abom abomination of desolation was coming soon and World War III was about to spark off. And it made him happy to think that World War III was going to happen and 90% of the people on Earth were going to die because of that war. Like, he was, he was giddy about it. And it's like, bro, <laughs> that's some bad eschatology. I don't think these people actually understand what the words that are coming out of their mouth. Like, if you believe that, you're a part of that 90%. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, you're going to die. And oh, it's well, going to really, really suck. Well, they're, I mean, they're going to get raptured, right? 
Oh, yeah. They, you know? they always have to have that escape hatch. Um, you, you probably don't experience uh, this type of mindset a lot within uh, uh, the Episcopalian circles. But um, it's 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 very hot and heavy down in the Bible Belt, and uh, the the boomers here. Well, it's not. Yeah, it's their generation, you know, because they went through the whole Jesus movement and stuff in the seventies yeah. and all that type of stuff. But um, it, it's it's really a lot of the women mm-hmm. that just get caught up in all that craziness. Uh, the the men won't go to church because their churches are so so effeminate. Because yep. they're singing love songs to Jesus, and it's just a bunch of old ladies up in there, um, you know. Well, and the ladies. Are... You, you, uh, you go ahead. I was just going to say the 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 ladies will make sure you get voted out the next time there's an election in the church if you if you say something that you know too is is too is too too spicy for them. You know what I mean? Right. Our problem in the Episcopal Church is, yes, we have women in the vestry, but our, because no one wants to be an Episcopal priest anymore, uh, we get like uh, lesbian cat ladies with uh, rainbow vestments, move into your church, move into your parish, and um, no one goes there anymore. And I mean, that's, that's what happened to my church. Um, our Episcopal priest, I mean, he, uh, you know, married my father, and by the time I came of age to start going, really going to church on my own, he had retired, and then he passed away, and then um, some Yankee guy came in, and he was weird, and then now we have a, a female priest, um, which I even hate even using the phrase female priest, um, female rector, um, that's another Episcopal uh, phrase, and people just stopped going. Um, so... I mean, yeah, it's not necessarily uh, for us, like, there's no women on the board, uh, we call it ours, a vestry, um, that decide things. It's like now we have this you know, homosexuals or lesbians or, or whatever, and no one wants to go to that. I mean, it's like, I mean, I hadn't heard a sermon that used the word sin in it in probably 10 years. So, I mean, that's how bad that, I mean, the Episcopal Church is essentially a dead church, and it is like, multiplying its death year over year, compounding its, you know, midpool um, year over year. So I don't even think the Episcopal Church will really be a church in the next 10 years. I think it'll just be defunct by then. Hopefully all them, uh, them beautiful churches that will be taken over by good and faithful Baptists. <laughs> well, in Northern Virginia, they got taken over by uh, Muslims. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I wrote about this um, uh, years ago for an old blog that we're no longer associated with, uh, and uh, because they became crazy Nazbul communist um, wackos. But I, I wrote about this uh, in Northern Virginia. I was driving up there. Uh, I was dating a girl from uh, Northern Virginia, and um, by the way, I, ne- I never realized I had an accent until I dated somebody from Northern Virginia who was just like, where, "Are you from Alabama?" And I was like, "No, I'm from." just a couple hours away from me but i drove by this old old colonial church uh that was now under new management and now it was a mosque and the episcopalian the liberal episcopalians that managed that church into the ground refused to sell it to the breakaway right-wing episcopal um faction which called themselves aliens because they were 
bigots and you know these these evildoers, these uh, you know, Nazis of the cross, refused to sell the church property to them, but instead sold it to Muslims. So now it's mosque. So no, there is no the when the left takes over an institution, hollows it out and wears it as a skin suit, it does not give it away to their right wing cousins in the in the church. It gives it to a foreign religion. That's what it does because it, it's it's anti Christian um, cult. Yeah. So it, they, they're not giving it over to Baptists. They're not giving it to Roman Catholics. They're not giving it to the Presbyterians, the Methodists, Lutherans. They're going to give it to a synagogue or a you know Muslim to the Muslims, or they'll hell they they'd probably rather give it to the Church of Satan. So. Eh. It, well, I, I found that this is the this is the mo of these specific people. Um, you know, there there will be some collective groans, I imagine, uh, from the listeners. But you know, they they did this thing with Gamergate. They did this thing with Comicsgate. They did this thing with uh, Tabletop, um, where they come in acting like they're the big fans of you know whatever whatever thing you're doing, right? And then they just pollute it, where all of the original people who liked the thing don't want to have anything to do with it anymore because they've they've just corrupted the whole thing um and so they start emphasizing things like gay superheroes or uh you know D D. you know i'm a nerd man so like D D has gone to gone to trash with 5e um where they just it, you could you can you can be anything you want to be right you could be a gnome with enough strength to overpower an orc who's like you know, literally five times as tall as you are with, you know, solid slab of meat supposed to be. Uh, that that kind of stuff just, it's completely gone astray from what it was supposed to be originally. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they've tried to do that with a few other groups, and there's been a few success, successful pushback uh, against it. But, uh, you know, all the people who started that stuff with Gamergate, with, with the comics, with Tabletop, they're all working for Google now. And they're teaching Google how to do all this stuff. It's the same subversive mentality where they come in, they act like they're the original, you know, part of whatever you are. You know, I'm the original Southern, I'm the original Virginian, I'm the original this, that. And, you know, they'll they'll act as if that's what they are, and then they completely subvert what you are to be something completely different. And then they'll sell you upstream. It's the same sub subversiveness that, that's happened. Um, across the board. I mean, that's what they do. That's that's the mo, and I've got two good examples of that. I used to be a member of the, uh, well, Bull and Bear Club in Richmond. This was a uh, like a businessman's club you would go to, and it used to be all white and all male, and um, it was on a, a high rise. We didn't we don't we don't have skyscrapers in Richmond. Um, not in the traditional sense, but it was at the very top of one of our, our big buildings. And there was a humidor, there were pool tables, you could smoke, you could drink, you could do all this and you could do all that. And in the course of about 10 years, they allowed women in and they desegregated. And I'd look on the wall and I'd see portraits of all these old presidents of the Bull and Bear Club. And they're all, you know, not to be overly racialist, they're all white males. And within that 10 to actually maybe 15 year period, now all the pictures of the presidents 
they're white females, and then they're now black males. And by the end of that 15-year time period, the club closed permanently. And it closed because it stopped being, it stopped investing and embracing its identity. And then it's like, well, you know, we can't allow smoking in the club anymore. And now we can't have the humidor anymore. We can't, can't, we can't even have the cigar lounge. We can't have that. And you can't bring your own glasses at the club where you can, you know, they fill your glass with, you know, liquor or beer or whatever. You can't do that anymore. Um, and you can't get a free copy of the Richmond Times Dispatch anymore for your membership. And eventually the club closes and people don't want to go to it anymore. Right. And this is just what they do. They do it over and over. They take an institution, they screw up the identity of the institution, and the institution dies. Whether it be a gentleman's club, an actual gentleman's club, not a strip club, <laughs> right. or a church. Or, and I've written about this. I'm, I'm a graduate of the Virginia Military Institute, um, one of the oldest you know, state colleges in the country. Used to be, you had to be from Virginia to go to, to VMI. And then you had, you had to be from the South to go to VMI. And then they opened it up, and that's like, now you can let Yankees come in and stuff like that. And so that didn't hurt the school. It really didn't. Then you got to allow non-whites into the school. Still didn't really hurt the school. Still had all of our traditions and everything like that. It was still very tough, very strong. But the death kneel to the school was allowing women in. They allowed women in, and 1997, they really get in there, 98, 99, and now VMI is destroyed in, in the present year. And they did the same thing. It's all about destroying the identity. Now we have to lax everything. We can't do this. We can't do that. Right. Tear down a statue. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. You know, oh, man, this is so hard. You, they shouldn't be expected to do 25 push-ups outside their room, so we've got to stop doing this. You know, maybe they don't have to wear a uniform every day. And, and now you're like, well, now it's not even going to exist. And so that, it, it, that's just the MO, and I've been rambling. That's the SOP of the left. You take over an institution, you turn it into your ideology, which is a toxic, destructive ideology of non-hierarchy, egalitarianism, dies. And that's what do. So one of the things that I've noticed is uh, anytime you introduce, you know, I'm noticing a pattern. Anytime you introduce women into an all-male institution, it goes to pot. Um, we can even yep. see that with something like the Boy Scouts. So they were arguing... Yep. whether or not a girl could go be a part of the boy scouts and now it's full you know full homo over there um and i mean if you want to really dig back you know go back into it if women could not did not have the right to vote then we wouldn't have abortion nor gays running the streets you know this is really a, a whole sympathy you know the, the the whole sympathetic mom thing kind of um kind of rings true that whole meme um like the the soccer mom vote you know <laughs> yeah and and, and and real talk like what what does that mean like soccer mom i mean is a soccer mom really a real thing i mean i mean i know it is a real thing but it's like the old the soccer well we the soccer mom vote is so important to us it's like is a soccer mom vote going to put down you know an invading army well <laughs> it's soccer it's mom the vote? It's the it's the the female vote of greater suburbia, right? Where 
you know, yep. the uh, by golly, suburbia needs their vote uh, that needs their representation. It's like your suburb shouldn't even exist, homie. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you're sorry, right, I'm, you're right. I'm anti suburb, you're right. So, but oh, they're terrible, they're, they're, they're terrible. And as someone who grew up in the country without any siblings, I so badly wanted to move into the suburbs. Uh, because I was like, man, you know, there'd be a whole bunch of kids. What a what a cool thing. And, you know, here I am. I live out in the middle of nowhere. What, I'm going to go play war by myself and out in the woods, which I, I would. But I, was like, I so badly wanted to move in the suburbs. And now that I'm older, I'm like, thank God I did. Because uh, the suburbs are just so dysfunctional. Yeah. Well, that was, um, you know, I'll... I'll again assert my nerdum here. You know the the that show uh, Stranger Things uh, yeah. really shows the problems with suburbia. Uh, you know the the single mother who you know she's got th you know two three kids and can't take care of them. She's you know this chronically ill in her head. Um, you know ever ever freaking out you know there's there's occasionally a time when her freaking out is justified but about 90% of it is just what are you doing <laughs> and and society's you know in in her defense uh in the in the defense of the single mother which you will not hear me do this very often um you know that especially in the 70s and and moving today i mean the the typical thing then to do was to just medicate her well cuz she just needs medication right she doesn't need to fix her situation she doesn't need to get an actual husband. She doesn't need to, you know, have her sons, um, you know, have a good father figure in the home. She just needs medication. That's that's the that's the fix. Uh, and that that's wreaked more havoc on on you know the whole the whole of the country, much less the South, than I think just about anything else was was this this idea of the the single mother. The single mother as a voting block, the soccer mom as a voting block, right? Well, you know, I liked um, Stranger Things season one, and I'll, I'll get back to the single mother thing in a second. I thought Stranger Things season one was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it, it had a really cool nostalgia vibe from it. Um, but then season two, I was just like, where did this diversity come from? I mean, this is supposed to be the 1980s. And, like, everybody is, like, a non-white. And I was like, this just doesn't really add up here. Yeah, I, they, they, it's Netflix, man. <laughs> That's all I have to say That's about true. it. It's That's Netflix. True. You know, it, it, they, they're going to, they're going to make, if, if it was white, they'll make it non-white real quick. Well, to get back on the whole, you know, medicating single mothers, medicating women in general. The, uh, it was kind of predicted in, in you know, the whole dystopian novel, uh, Brave New World. You know, you're you're just going to be handed some skooma, and, and everything's going to be okay. Keep saying and skooma. Where's skooma? It, what what's it called? Oh, I just looked it up. <laughs> Soma. Yeah, it's Soma. Skooma's from uh, Elder Scrolls, buddy. Which let me let me just go ahead and put this in there. You're not far off with the skooma, right? But it's just right. wrong, you know, wrong universe, buddy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, hey, well, good games, though, by the way. Yeah, they are. 
Yeah. But uh, that, that's, that's where it got stuck in my head as playing Skyrim. Um, but uh, anyways, I mean, we've been sell and, and now we can self-medicate to the point where, you know, quote unquote, women can't even get pregnant. So we're hijacking their, their entire system to make it do something that it wasn't intended to do. So how is that messing up how they actually think? And how is that divorcing their mind from actual reality? Um, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, that's a whole nother, that's a yeah, whole nother can of words. That's a three hour podcast. I mean, we can have it. We got time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's bad. I mean, I, I mean, I don't even know when we'll find out like how damaging like birth control has been on on their bodies after generational uses of it. Uh, and I mean, I've seen some things on it. There's one, in fact, I was talking to my wife about this. I may have read it in the the Guardian like ten years ago, and there was a report on women and what they find attractive in men, like physically in men. And like, what was an attractive male? And they showed like, who was like the heartthrob? Who was a Hollywood heartthrob over the decades? And it starts with like Burt Lancaster in the fifties, and then it you know it goes to Steve McQueen or something like that. And eventually, it gets to Brad Pitt, and then it gets to Zac Efron. And this is when they were like, not not an older Brad Pitt, not an older Zac Efron. This is when they were like really hot. When I say hot, I mean like very popular. And they look less masculine as time goes on over generational use of the pill. Mm. And like, I, I don't even know. And, and I, it, there was scientific studies in the article, but I mean, it's been over 10 years since I read it. So, but I just remember it stood out to me. I was like, man, I mean, we're, you know, past the days of like Tom Selleck. Now we're in like K-pop being like, oh, that's so cool. That's so so attractive. I'm like, this looks like a woman. Um, and is is it a chemical imbalance of of using this stuff? Where now women, you know, I don't I don't know. I and mean, now we're getting to really brave new world stuff, which we're talking about, which to me, brave new world is much more horrifying than uh, 1984. Brave new world. I read Brave New World in like two days, and it is really a, a frightening, horrifying book, especially with the sexualization of children. And yep. it really ties into where we are today on like, well, let them do whatever, let them rub their body parts together. And there's a class system, there's a, a dumb down, there's an ignorance. Um, and then you have the like the noble savages and all this kind of stuff. And that is much, that seems to tie into where we are now a lot more than 1984. Well, I mean, with elements of 1984 thrown into the mix. Um, but that's my little uh, ramblings on the pill and and Brave New World. Well, so I I would I would mirror you on on most of that. Where I, where I think um, I think the issue comes in from that that perspective is the the nineteen eighty four comes in with the attempts at control of language. So I'll, I'll give an example here. You know, you know, we started off with with calling you know black people Negroes, and then that was racist, so we had to call them blacks, and then blacks became racist, so we had to call them African Americans, and then African Americans became racist. Now you got to call them people of color, 
Now you got to call them pox or ipox or you know whatever you know verbiage they want to come up with today. And hold on, you you missed one. You you missed one. It was colored people, then blacks. Now we're back to colored people or people of color. And, okay, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. Just colored people backwards. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I'm, I apologize for my 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 historical error there. Um, but the, no, no, no. no. I, yeah. I was just pointing out the 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 total iron the ironic nature of that. Right. But anyway, I didn't want to cut you off. But go ahead. Well, it's it's so the the thing with 1984, and I, and I think there's a. It, it's a it's it's overt in one sense, but it's not overt in another. Um, you know, I, I use this word sorcerer a lot lately when it comes to, you know, uh, journalists and a lot of these lefties that are up there. You know, even some of the the liberals who pretend like they're on the right. Um, you know, they the the sorcery that I'm talking about here is language, and they 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 constantly manipulating the language that you can use in public, the acceptable modes of speech that's allowed in public and so if i quote for instance um jefferson davis who called the north full of the yankee race people have no idea what i'm talking about and they think i'm talking about black people <laughs> when, when he wasn't talking about black people at all right and that's a really good example because number one it's tied into with the stuff that we talk about on this channel because we're a southern podcast but you know the other thing is how far they've shifted language and how far uh, they play with language how much they play with language that was a huge portion of 1984 and that and that kind of locked down control of language really is present today um you know it, it, one of one of the um one of the uh, the uh uh reporters that interviewed my my dad um you know he used the word to talk about homosexuality he used the word deviation you know if he uses the word deviation then you know there's no problem but when my father used the word deviation now all of a sudden he's a homophobe same word and this is that double speak that that 1984 talks about right where you can say the same thing, but it means two different things, depending on who's saying it. Not even context, because context doesn't matter in that in that situation. It matters who's on the right side. So somebody on the other side can can say the same words, meaning the same content that you mean, but when they say it, it's bad, and when you say it, it's good. And it's it's that uh, the right falls for this so much today, where they just adopt the language like partner instead of saying husband or wife now has become one of those accepted modes of talking about you know marriage because they want to include the homosexual in this i'm sorry but the homosexual isn't married not established marriage between men and women for a reason so i'm not going to say partner i'm going to say that's my wife you know my wife's going to say that's my husband partner is not acceptable language in my home and i i i correct it every time it's in my home because I'm, I'm not going to accept that that sorcery in my house not going to happen and i and i and i address it that way I mean, that's a good way to do it it's just like i actually have a business partner <laughs> so when i'm talking to people i have to say business partner instead of partner in case they think i'm some sort of homo <laughs> right yeah like, no 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 <laughs> this is a guy i work with like that, that you know but that's how what what people will go to they're like oh it's his partner it's like no 
No, it's not that, that that's actually a guy I work with. He, you know, he does the accounting, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like uh, anything else, but um, yeah, you, when you mentioned 1984, that's actually very, um, that is very important. The, the policing of language. I remember I was outside one time. Uh, I went to this bar club restaurant that's been around forever uh, called the tobacco company in Richmond. I think it's still, it's still, still there as far as I know. And I was outside, you know, smoking a cigarette, um, chatting with the girl. And uh, she was, I don't know, politics came up. And she asked me, um, for some reason or another, she asked me who my favorite uh, Virginians were. And I said, uh, Washington, Jefferson, and Lee. And it depends on how much I've been drinking uh, for that order. <laughs> Sorry, and that's funny to me. Yeah. And she was like, oh, no, 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 you can't talk like that. I said, what do you mean I can't talk like that? She said, well, you can't mention any of those men uh, here. You might get in trouble. And I was like, I said a, a few choice words. I was like, get in trouble. I don't care who the hell it is. I mean, are they going to have to fight me? You know, but that was my, my very first experience on police language. And this might have been, uh, man, it was more than 10 years ago. Uh, it might have been the early 2000s. No, not early 2000s. It's probably about 2010 or so. And I was like, what in the world are these people talking about? Like they're policing their language. And I mean, I don't like to use slurs and stuff like that, but you know, sometimes there's guy talk. I mean, you say some things. And um, I mean, now it's a, today, I mean, you could be around, you know, a guy you've known for 10, 15 years and you say something uh, and they're like, man, you can't talk like that. You might get in trouble. And I'm like, I don't want to pull like an animal house, like get in trouble, F getting in trouble. I don't care about that. But I mean, you need a little bit of rebellious streak nowadays or else you're just an NPC. You're just a normie like, oh, well, I mean, what's the flavor of the week? What can I not say now? Now, we were right. talking about like how black people describe and, and y'all missed when I was raised by someone born in 1905 and they, they called them darkies <laughs> before they called them colored. Um, so it was darkies. Coloreds, um, Afro Americans, African Americans, Black—I mean, it, it changes by generation. So who knows what it'll be? Um, POC, people of color—that's uh, a good way to troll normies when they're like, "Oh, that's a person of color," and, you, and then you call them a colored person. They're like, "No, but you can't say that." It's like, so I can call them a people <laughs> of color, but I can't call them a colored person. What, what's the difference? And they'll be like, "Oh, you—you you sound like you're a Southern racist," or you know, I mean, some BS like that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting topic as far as uh, language policing, but we are certainly there. Um, there's a lot of stuff you you could say in the locker room back in 2000 you cannot say today. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's like even in the private chats. Sorry, sorry, Travis, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 go, go finish what you were going to say. Well, I mean, it's it's even like the private chats. Um, you, you really got to trust people. Um, and I mean, really trust people to to have a conversation with them anymore. Um, it's it's become harder and harder to to have a candid conversation about anything. Uh, and, and I and I really started hitting this when <laughs> I started bringing up single motherhood around my family. And uh, you know, that's a touchy subject, man. Like, you know, there's a whole lot of people who simp real hard for single mothers, and. Uh, it they'll they'll do it in a heartbeat. They they are almost untouchable when it comes to, you know, anything that they do. It's just because of their bad circumstance. 
you know, let's not let's not talk about the fact that their bad circumstance was because they're a single mother, and they effectively chose that for themselves. And that's that's not important. The important part is their feelings, man. Like you got to worry about them feelings. And um, you know, well, I mean, I, I'm I'm the kind of guy, man. I, I I'm not sure if 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 this has come across yet in any of our conversations. I'm the kind of guy where when you tell me not to do something, I'm going to dig my heels in just for the simple fact that you told me not to do it. <laughs> um, and so I've, I've, that's exactly how I approach those situations. You know, oh, you can't say that. And then I'll start, you know, elevating the volume and say it a little bit louder just to, just to make them uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Um, and that, that's gotten me in trouble with family. I mean, absolutely, but you know, I, I, I'm a, a nationalist, and I know y- y'all are very uh, southern podcast, so I don't want to say like that's Americans, but that's old Americans were that way. Like, we don't bow to foreign leaders. We don't, we don't do this and that. And so, so if someone says, "No, no, no, you're not," and, and they do the school mom, "No, you're not going to talk that way," an old American be like, "Well, f you, I'm going to do what I want to." Right. And that's that sort of rebellious spirit. I'm not saying to rebel to rebel for no reason, but if you have some school marm that's like Elizabeth Warren wagging her finger at you, like you're not supposed to do that. Well, I'm going to do it anyway, Mitty, um, because we're rebels. That's what we do. And because you tell me not to do it, and it's not like, hey, don't put your hand into a bowl of water. It's a, uh, um, hey, you know, you have to use this new classification of terms. It's like, screw you, pal. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do because we are rebels. We're independent. We, you know, uh, this is a liberty minded people and we don't do well to, you know, this like, you know, a helicopter mom. Uh, you can't do this. Can't do that. Like, get out of here. I mean, we, we don't operate that way. So I'm in the same boat. If someone's like, hey, you, you know, you really have to police your language. I mean, you really can't act that way. And it's like, well, what did I say untoward to anybody? And they're like, well, you, you misgendered somebody. It's like. Oh my God! I mean, did you get your balls clipped or something? Like, I mean, who talks that way? <laughs> so, so one of the things I was gonna say is, um, like, when when I'm around my friends, I, I don't talk to a lot of my uh, childhood friends that often, but occasionally I'll, you know, message them back and forth. We got a few group chats or whatever, but um, I, I kind of like to push the Overton window um, a bit more than I would around, you know, say my family or something like that. And that's to break him out of that mindset where, where I'll be, it, like, like the whole term racist. I think, uh, I think Luke, you brought this up in a previous podcast. You know, you just go around and say, you know, oh well, if someone calls you racist, you just follow them around and do, you know, call their ordinary activities racist. Like, you know, they <laughs> they, they change the trash bag. Yeah. Oh, well, that's pretty racist of you. Um, and that that kind of that kind of devalues that um, that 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 slur or not that slur, but that accusation they're using against you. Mm -hmm. So, so if everything's racist, then nothing's racist. So, so, um, in, in the same way, if you start acting in a certain way around certain people talking a certain way, then you start to, you know, you, you're not the, you're not the big, bad, evil racist that, that people think you are. So for instance, I, um, I got called racist the other day. First time I actually got called racist in real life. Uh, by someone that I thought knew me fairly well, but apparently not. Um, and, and they said, oh, so you're racist. That means you hate black people. 
No, I've never said that once in my life. But but because I but because I voluntarily took that mantle upon me after she called me that, she automatically assumed and yes, the pronouns are very important here. She assumed that I I must hate a certain group of people simply because I donned don this title, which is now basically a meme. Um, and so I think pushing that Overton window might help wake some normies up. If not, then you'll know which one's not to worry with anymore. You know? Um, yeah. I think there's still some normies out there that, that should... That are savable, I guess you could say. It it got to the point where my my very liberal um, family member was uh, we were having a casual conversation about you know a food that he liked, and um, uh, you know he says he likes you know this macaroni and cheese from this place. I'm like, man, that's pretty racist of you. Uh, and <laughs> and it, it well it it. It's one of those things where it's a, it was, and this is why I do it. There's a Pavlovian response to being called racist. And he actually stopped and considered, right? And it took him a moment to really gather in because he was searching for the thread. How is this, how is eating mac and cheese racist? I don't, I don't get it. Like, it took him a second. And I'm just like, of course I deadpanned it, right? So it sounded as if I was actually accusing him. And he kind of looked at me, and this smirk kind of sneaking across my face, right? Uh, and that's the first inclination that he got, and I was, I was really making fun of him. Um, uh, but I, I've I've done that. I, that I started that because it's a much easier way than having the, you know, the the knockdown drag out, and you can, you know, just make fun of it, and then and then at the cer- certain point, it becomes a meme. Where they ask me to say racist things at the family gathering, <laughs> you know the the very liberal people ask me to say things that are racist at the family gathering, and uh, you know of course occasionally you oblige them and talk about the you know the Italians and the and the you know Irish, but um, yeah, it, it that's that's my way of kind of uh, playing a little subversive game back. Because, uh, I mean, they snuck in all kinds of things through humor. They snuck in all kinds of things through, you know, belittling or besmirching and, uh, you know, any kind of uh, sacredness in the in the community. And so I just retaliate with further degradation of what they find sacred. You know, I think for me, just about language, because I think I'm, I might be a little bit older than y'all, but I remember in high school, and because I saw a funny meme about this, and it said "return to tradition," and in the left panel was "that's cringe," in the right <laughs> panel, it said "that's gay." And I remember, like, being in high school, if if someone did something stupid, you'd be like, "Man, stop being gay," and you would say that, and you didn't mean like stop being a homosexual; it just meant stop being stupid, right? Um, and and I know y'all's show goes on a couple platforms, so I don't want to say the the f word, um like a, a pack of cigarettes but you could say that too it doesn't mean like i hate to drag a homosexual behind my pickup truck with some chains it just meant like oh he stopped being stupid you know i mean you just say that it's like oh that's kind of dumb that's stupid and i remember i said that to to some like urbanites one time uh like 10 years ago and they're like oh my god i can use that word and i'm like 
man, you're my age. We went to the same high school. Like, what? what? You used to say it all the time. Like, I, I'm not saying, like, go beat up gay people. I'm not saying beat up homosexuals. I'm just like, that's a phrase. It doesn't mean that. The left is now at a point where they think words are violence. And they'll say that. They'll say words equal violence. And it's like, well, man, you don't know the first thing about violence unless you're donning black and you're going to go, like, destroy a Bank of America and D.C. or Richmond or on a riot or something. But you don't know real violence. So you're just using words and language to please people by saying, oh, that's a violent language or that's you're acting violently. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there smoking a cigarette and I'm saying a naughty word or something. Um, but, I mean, that's how they, they do. That's how they yeah. behave. Well, that's uh, the— and so I. That's the 1984 I'm talking about, right? Absolutely, absolutely. That that's that's where I I got on the whole sorcery thing because of that. <laughs> because of that, um, that's a Travis and I have had very long conversations about this, so he he kind of probably probably way longer than we should have, to be honest. <laughs> uh, well, it's like when when I was a kid, and and y'all can bleep this out if you want to. There was a game called Spear the Queer. And if, I mean, if you were, <laughs> you chased them, but it was a game of tag that you got tackled and you maybe got roughed up and you just like kept tackling people or, or, or playing around. And uh, I mean, that's what you said. I mean, I remember being by my babysitters and it's like, hey, time to play Spear the Queer. It's like, hey, guess what? You're the short straw. Like, you better go run for your life. We're going to go tackle you. And it, it didn't mean like I want to hurt you because of your sexual orientation. It meant, like you're just a loser. We're gonna come get you, and then I mean that's it. Right. Um, that that was uh, we, I played that in in my high school as well. So I I, I know that game well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just it was just I mean having fun, and and you know I remember I chatted with a buddy of mine. He's now a, a major in the army, and you're thinking you're you're in the army, you're in the barracks, you can use some salty language. It's like you can't say anything anymore in the army. Yeah, and I'm not even talking. You say call somebody gay. It's like you can't call someone an a hole. You can't. I mean, you can't say stuff like that. Or, or it's like that's a big no no now in the in the the military. And I'm like, man. I mean, how do you expect to fight, man? If you get to use salty language, I mean, that's a whole other conversation itself about U.S. Uh, military readiness, which is really really bad. Um, and we wonder why. I mean. All this started happening because we let females in the military. But then yep. we started had to police our languages because we would hurt somebody's feelings. And then we started letting soft guys in the military. And instead of toughing them up, toughening them up by calling them a faggot, you know, now we have to coddle them because if you call them a faggot, you get a sharp card. You know, we're we're not opposed to this word on this podcast, by the way. Okay, I didn't know if y'all would get in trouble for it. Well, we might, but we haven't yet. <laughs> I don't care either. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, it's like, uh, did y'all ever watch the show, and, and it really couldn't be made today. Remember the, the show The Office with Michael Scott? Yeah. Um, yes. Crow? I love that. I love I mean, that show. It, I, I mentioned the show on, on a couple posts on my channel. Um, but they don't really make comedy anymore. Uh, they, they really don't. But I mentioned The Office, and it's like, man, there are a couple of episodes on The Office that could never be made today, where Michael's like, oh, that's faggy. Like, he would say something like that, or they would make fun of—they'd make racial jokes or gay jokes. And uh, 
they just don't make comedy anymore because you can't make comedy. You can't make comedy when you have these guardrails like, well, you can't say this, you can't say that. And um, then now, because comedy is essentially uncomfortable truths um, for a laugh. That's what comedy really is. And if you can't hurt anyone's feeling with with uncomfortable truths, then you don't have comedy. It's like, um, and I know, I know he can be pretty edgy, but it's like I don't know if y'all ever saw any of the old um, Eddie Murphy stand-ups from the '80s, but that is some really edgy stuff, <laughs> especially today. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised he, he hasn't even been canceled for his old shows that he used to because he he'd make fun of. Them. That's a good thing about comics. Really good comics, they will make fun of everybody. Hey, you want to make fun of white people? It's fine. I, I can laugh at myself. You want to make fun of rednecks? I can laugh at that too. I can make fun of make fun of southern people. I can laugh at that. Make fun of black people. Make fun of homos. Make fun of Italians, Yankees. Great. Let's all have a good laugh. And that's what you can do with good comedy. Um, but we can't have that nowadays. Well, that's like Dave that's Chappelle, why, right? Ironically, well, that's who I was going to bring up. Uh, uh, go ahead. That fell flat. We just both say it at the same time. Uh, well, Dave Chappelle gets in trouble with the trannies because he makes some tranny jokes, genuinely funny tranny jokes, right? And, and I, I actually like all of Dave Chappelle's racial jokes. Like the black ones are funny, the white ones are funny because I know both of them are absolute true stereotypes in <laughs> yeah. many cases. But yeah. but he he's he's getting called out by the woke mob and and. I think he's handling it great as far as he can for, you know, what what vein he's he's in. Uh but at the same time he's um he's still a part of their crowd. Like I'm I'm not under any misconceptions that he's quote our guy. He's just not their guy, if that makes right. any sense. But hey, he's still a he's still a great comic and I and I'll watch his specials um when they don't there are certain lines that he crosses that I just don't I don't like, but he's a comic. I'm you know I'm not. But I think this I, is. I would uh, agree with that. This is this is a it, right in line. You know, we're talking about um, uh, media personalities. Um, you know, Ridley Scott. I love Ridley Scott's movies for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> he is he is probably the most insightful and uh in terms of um understanding the human psyche i think he is he is probably the best artist at his craft and he is insane and quasi demonic but i love his movies because they're they're amazingly insightful and they bring that insight uh, Raised by Wolves is a perfect example. I mean, it's was that a good show? I I, I also love Ridley Scott. Um, you know, like Gladiator, Blade Runner, Alien. I like all of that stuff. But was Raised by Wolves good? I I haven't watched anything of that. Yes, excellent. Uh, if especially if you understand the the symbolic nature of the show, if you understand the symbolism of the show, you get a whole new level of it. It's not just the story. It's the whole symbolism of it. Uh, and if you don't understand the symbolism of it, just there's a, a associated podcast that kind of gets into some of the symbolism and you'll start understanding what's going on. Um, and and then if you dig into the themes further, you get where Ridley Scott's really, really leaning into um, 
into some of his ideas. I just wish we had a Christian version of Ridley Scott, you know? Oh, I do too, because he's uh, he's very much an anti-Christian. Uh, I, w- I mean, maybe not anti-Christian, but he's very atheistic. Um, she saw in like Kingdom of Heaven, which I think Kingdom of Heaven, Kingdom of Heaven is a beautiful film. Um, but there's a lot of Kingdom of Heaven you're like, come on, man, uh, the Muslims, <laughs> uh, and he makes Christians out to be like uh, Nazis more or less. But um, well, he's definitely anti-Christ. Yeah, cinematography, his stuff is uh, very beautiful. Um, and he's got a very, you know, good eye on uh, landscape and the setting and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll check out Raised by Wolves uh, and see how that is. Uh, get back to me. Tell me what you think. I will. I will. Uh, well, you know, you almost forget that Ridley Scott also did, uh, what was it, the, the Somali war film um that had like a massive cast to it what, was that was like that tears of the sun no black hawk down black hawk, black oh. hawk down was yeah that was a huge film i didn't realize that was him yep yeah that was him um is there anything else that you want to uh want to get to we're at um right at about two hours right now uh, that probably, oh, a lot of that will probably be cut out from the beginning, but yeah. Yeah, we 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 rabbit trailed a lot. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. And I'm not a podcast guy. I just kind of go with the flow, and it's like wherever the conversation goes. And I know we 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 chatted about some questions and stuff like that. So I'm I'm, I'm hey, if y'all want to wrap it up, it's getting a little late on mine. My phone's probably about to die here in a second. Um, but you know, whatever last minute questions y'all have, I'm I'm good to to add to them, and then we can wrap it up. Uh well um do you have any more questions? Yeah let me let me drop this one in because you know we're we're talking about the the boat shoe nationalism here um that was the real intent of the podcast so you know how does that as an aesthetic um how does that help to bring things back from the dystopia that we're in right like how do we how do we go from uh uh I guess how can boat shoot nationalism be a good tool and how do we use it effectively? Those are better questions. Um, I mean, I would say even if you're not boat shoot, even if, I mean, if you're Crocs and um, pajama pants, yeah, you realize that that's the, the the bottom of the barrel. You're, you're a pleb if that's how you dress. So move up move up your station in life. You can do it yourself. Um, that doesn't mean you're going to uh, be Elon Musk or anything like that. Um, you're not, you're not going to win necessarily all the spots on Monopoly. <laughs> but you, there are things that you are in charge of. And your appearance and your attitude, you're in charge of. So if you want to be the guy that you're a Carhartt guy, yeah, you can be a Carhartt guy. You want to be the guy who's a boat shoe guy, you can be a boat shoe guy. But the ultimate thing is to improve yourself. And you can improve yourself just by what you what you wear. And you don't have to go out and you go to, I mean, most of the clothes I wear are LL Bean actually, but um, you don't have to go spend $300 on a button down. You can just go get a reasonable price shirt and clothes and improve yourself. And if you prove yourself, you're proving your people and your community. 
and people will look at you and they'll go, man, I mean, he's he's got something going on. I mean, is this guy rich? Is he wealthy? You don't even need to be financially rich or wealthy, but you believe in yourself and people go, oh, you know, they're a Smith, they're a Johnson, you know, whatever your last name is. And it's like, they dress well when they go out in the public. They don't dress like a fool. They don't look like white trash. And <laughs> based off all the different subcultures in the South, you know, be it a redneck, be it a boat shoe guy, um, no one wants to be white trash. And we don't want our people to be white trash. And we know what white trash are. White trash is an attitude. It's also an image. Um, and it, you don't need to go out wearing a sleeveless Harley Davidson t-shirt and jean shorts, jorts. You don't need to wear that out in public. Your grandfather would never wear that in public. Your great-grandfather would never wear that in public. So have some pride in yourself. If you have pride in yourself, then it's it's sort of like building blocks to a, a better polity, a better civilization, a better society. I know these are all sort of abstract things, but if you improve the citizenry and at least how they look, that will bleed into other areas. And that's kind of a boat shoot nationalism. It's also sort of like basic before the wokeness conservatism. And, you know, I've, I've said on the show, I think earlier, you know, on a good, and I've, I've put this in my writing before, on a good day, I'm a small C conservative, a small R republic type guy. Like if we're arguing tax policy and, you know, easements and, and, and things like that and um, infrastructure planning, yeah. Yeah, I'm that. When I see a drag queen story hour, then I, I move in a much more radical position because it's all about your people, Christianity, and your community. That's all that really matters. Um, and we and we can't have these this death cult of liberalism. And that's really where we are now. That was my question. Oh, um, my, my last question was just going to be, uh, where can people find you? Uh, I noticed you mentioned you had a telegram and a gab, and you also write on Identity Dixie. Yeah, so primarily my writing is on identitydixie.com. I encourage all of your listeners, we, we usually have fresh content every day, uh, writing. It could be anything from current affairs, deep thoughts, sort of deconstructing the left, so the nationalism, history, and then you get, you know, the sort of Boshu beat opinion columnist, uh, myself. Um, we do have a podcast section um, that, you know, occasionally Rebel Yell will be on there. We've got some of our affiliates that are on there. Uh, there will be a new podcast that I'm going to start up uh, fairly soon called Dixie on the Rocks with uh, Padraig Martin. Uh, I'm a Luddite, so bear with us. We're, we're trying to get through the technical elements to uh, get it up and running, but that should be up and running probably next week. I um, mean, excuse me, next month. Um, I also have a Telegram, just go in the search function, put in Boat Shoe, you'll find it. Uh, I have a Gab account uh, at Dirtwater01, if you want to follow me on that. But, uh, you know, kind of ultimately, just to kind of like put a, put a bow on it, just to button it up, um, really anybody who's listening, I mean, this is sort of the remnant. This is the remnant of the South, uh, of, of a unique and genuine culture. And the South is a big place. Uh, we've got the Tidewater, 
We've got all the way to the deep south. We've got Texas. We've got the Western Confederates. We've got Florida. We've got Appalachia. But there's a unique tie-in to all of this is that we've got, you know, the, the sort of the common denominator on certain things that Southerners, no matter where you are, you can be from Tappahannock, Virginia, or you can be on the outskirts of Louisville or outside of Houston or New Brunsville or Baton Rouge or Gainesville, Florida. There, there's a certain thing that a Southerner will know that he's a Southerner. So if you're listening to this, we need to support each other. We need to read our content. We need to share our content. We need to sort of revive that Southern spirit, no matter which sub part of the South that we're in. And, you know, at the end of the day, I really view the American empire is on a, uh, you know, the, the bridge is collapsed and the train is going straight forward. Uh, we, you know, we just lost a 20 year war in Afghanistan. Uh, we're now in really in a recession another recession. It uh, sounds great. We go through a recession every 10 years. Um, inflation, um, widespread degeneracy. There really is no choice for a God-fearing, normal people to be like, we've got to secede. We've got to get away from this because this this is not working. Um, like you look at the state of California. Cal California is a godless monstrosity. Like no one wants to work in California. No one's traveling to California. Outside of what you hear on, like, you know, normies, like, oh, we want to go visit Orange County. Real people don't want to go into California. And that's the future of the United States is California. And I don't want to see that happen in Mayberry, North Carolina. I don't want to see that happen in Fort Worth, Texas. And the only way to get away from it is to, we've got to push secession. Like, I don't care what it looks like. It's got to be better what we have right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I holler about that all the time. <laughs> That's, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been fed up with it for a while. And, um, that, that, you know, it's, it's that secession idea. Um, when I was a libertarian, that it's that secession idea, that love for, for the South that I really couldn't even account for in my own, I, my own ideas. Um, really, really gave me a lot of hope. You know, South could turn around. Well, think about it. We've been on this call, and even the stuff that will be cut out of the show, it, it's like, I, I mean, I don't really know y'all from Adam, but culturally, we've kind of hit on stuff, and it's like, yeah, no, I get that, I get that, I get that. And I've talked to people from Wyoming, which we talked about on the uh, on the show earlier, and I've talked to people from Pacific Northwest, I've talked to people from Massachusetts that I've known very well. And there are things that they just, they don't, they don't fire on all cylinders. There's something off. The language is off. The cuisine is off. The food is off. The culture is off. All these things, it's like, you know, that's why I don't like pan-Europeanism. You know, this sort of like old pipe dream that, you know, a, a, a failed elite like Richard Spencer used to, to uh, push. The, the the people of rural France have nothing in common with the people of the Urals. And the, the people of the Piedmont in the South don't have anything in common with Mormons in Utah. They just don't. Right. So we have to balkanize, we have to split because you know, you you believe in sovereignty and, and liberty and you know, we just don't get along with those people. Uh, and so it's just 
it doesn't mean we need to go fight each other. But well, I mean, it's you know, we have it's just a, it's just the idea that you know that we shouldn't not we shouldn't and they shouldn't have to live at the behest of one another. That they should have the option of being free too. And if they don't agree with us, then they shouldn't be ruled by us. It's it's just a it's it really is that simple. It it's, it doesn't have to be that complicated. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. You don't agree with me? Fine. We don't have to rule one another. No, and, and absolutely. That that's the problem with empires. Uh, I mean, you look at the Ottoman Empire, you look at the Roman Empire, you look at the British Empire, uh, and now the American Empire. And um, you know, even if you look at like the uh, the American nations, that's a, a famous book in the dissident right about the various um, nations within the American Empire. And it's like, you know, we have much more in common the the Tidewater and the uh, the coastal South and the Deep South and and even Texas. We have much more in common there than we do in North and South Dakota or. Chicago. So um, it, it's Washington. Washington is really our adversary that wants us to keep us all together. So for taxes and degeneracy and all this kind of stuff. And we just have to say, no, I don't care what happens in Vancouver. I don't care what happens in Lansing, Michigan. I care what happens in my community. I care what happens in Charlotte. I care what happens in Charleston. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, when I was growing up, we get the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and the Times-Dispatch had an entire section called the South. And all it was was news from Baltimore to Miami to El Paso. And, you know, essentially covering the entire South. And that was our region. And that was a very normal thing for us. And that's what we have to get back. Because that's not, you know, artificial. That's not contrived. That was a real thing. And what we have now is contrived. What we have now is plastic. Right. Um, and we just need to move away from it. Yeah, well, th this is a great conversation, man. Uh, I'm glad we could talk again. Hopefully we can do another podcast in the future. Um, I, I, I think, you know, really, really my big takeaway in putting this in context is... Um, uh, you know, the, the, cult, the, the culture of the South used to have that stratification for a reason. Uh, and there's people that really do just want to be part of that lower class. They want to be part of that lower tier of people. Um, and there's a certain sense in which that's, you know, not not for them personally, but, you know, as, as far as the the environment at large, there's a, there's a sense in which that's that's just fine. They can, they're going to go to their nine to five and, and work there's, there's there's been those people since the beginning of time. Uh, what what is really part of the South is that that aristocracy. And what we want to do, we want to encourage as many men as possible to be better and to do better. This is about you honoring Christ. It's about you honoring your people. It's about you honoring your family. Um, and so that that's really you know what I'm getting out of this, and I'm I, I think that's a um, that's an um, that's a thing we should all inspire to, really, to, to be a little cliche about it. So, 
Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, we have to say it's like, oh, that's cliched in modern America because you don't want to sit, you know, mention a stereotype or anything. Or say I'm some sort of analog retrograde type person. But I mean, it, it's that's all very true. These are universal truths. Right. Is that you want to honor your family, have pride in yourself and. Um, and pride in the South. And, and I mean, that's it. So. Um, but guys, I, I've certainly appreciated your time today. I've been just, uh, pacing around uh, the house <laughs> during during the call, so hopefully it hasn't been too distracting. But yeah, I'd love to be on your show again. And again, if y'all ever want to, um, I'll talk to the editorial team. If y'all ever want to submit an article, you know, we'll be glad to publish it. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, I'll share it on my channels, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, appreciate, appreciate it, man. Appreciate having you on. Yep, thank y'all very much. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website, at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. I know dark clouds will gather around me. I know my way is rough and steep.